Thank you, Lord, for your grace. I thank you that you have called us to serve you. Never worthy on our own, always dependent upon your grace. But we lean on you, Lord, and we thank you for your provision. Lord, may you bless our ministry. May you bless, and I'm not just speaking of our church, but of us individually, Lord, our ministry of loving you and loving our neighbor. Give us opportunity. Give us fruit, Lord. Give us a burden for people around us. Now, Lord, as we come to your word, I pray you give us a hunger for it. I pray that we would diligently seek out what you have to say to our hearts today and that we'd be responsive, Lord. That we'd respond to your prodding and that you would rule in our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, most of you know I spent a great deal of time as a youth pastor, and uh, one of the things that I used to do back in those days is I would take um, particularly young men on a river trip that I like to do. And um, I'll tell you a story about, about a river trip, and it's really not the river trip so much, but it's what happened afterwards. So well, this young man on the trip, and let me tell you, with all due love, he was a bother. I mean, it's just like anytime we try to do something, this one kid is just getting in the way. You know what I mean? You hate me for saying that. You've been there. You've seen him. Maybe you were him, okay? It's just always breaking stuff and knocking things over and getting in the way and falling in the water and knocking me in the water and just thing and thing over and over and over. Oh, and I'm with this kid Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I mean, I'm just, you know, on my edge, I'm not getting much sleep. I'm not getting much food. I'm missing my wife. I want to be home and I'm sleeping in the rain. So you just, you, you understand the circumstance, right? So the trip wraps up and we are now unloading all the wet, dirty equipment out of the trailer and putting it into the vehicles to head home. Now, for some reason, like an idiot, even though I'm leading, I brought my fly rod. Not a good decision. It never, ever got out of the boat. It was, I mean, never gave it came in my hand. I didn't get to use it, but, but I brought it, you know, thinking that maybe there'd be a chance I'd get the fly fish, possibly, maybe, on this trip. Some of you know where this is going. So we're unloading all the equipment, okay? And, and this young man comes over. Pastor Lowell, Pastor Lowell, I'll help. And, you know, he's jumping in to, to all these kind of things. And he's loading stuff into my vehicle. And I'm thinking, at least he's out of my hair, right? Well, unbeknownst to me, he's loaded all the stuff in the back of my van, okay? All my gear, sleeping bag, tent, everything wet, dirty. Puts my fishing pole in the van, it's now sticking outside of the back of the van. And I look up at that moment and I can see it happen. He reaches up in all of his awkwardness, grabs the, the back of the gate and slams that thing down and snaps my fishing pole just like that. I mean, my blood pressure. You know, it's like Fred Flintstone. You know, I just, I mean, oh, I just my pole, my fishing pole, after all you've done to me all weekend, all the difficulty you've put me through, the headache, the heartache, the, the lack of sleep, you're the one that breaks my pole? But I didn't say any of that. I didn't say any of that. Okay, It's like, I remember saying, it's all right. Wouldn't say his name was Mickey. It's all right, Mickey. It's all right. That was my name as a child. So it's okay. It's all right. No big deal.
In my heart, though, I mean, I am just losing it. I can't believe this. Well, the story doesn't end there. On the trip was this man who um, had become a friend, but I didn't know him real well. And this was his last event in the Martinsburg area. He was moving away, like the very next day. So I said goodbye to him, and away he went. About, I don't know, seven, ten days later, I come home from the office, and there on my front porch is this box, this long box and cardboard box, and what is this? And it's from an outfitter organization, and I open it up, and here this man, and out of the goodness of his heart, had made a wonderful decision. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. He had decided to buy me a fishing pole that I never would have spent the amount. He spent hundreds, and I would never have done this, hundreds of dollars on a fly rod, on a new reel, online, and sent it to my house. Wow. But what made it worse is he wrote a note. You know what that note said? He said, Lowell, you didn't know it, but when your pole got broke, I was watching. And when I saw the way that you responded with such grace, (laughs) I knew then that I needed to replace your pole. I felt like a worm. I mean, a bug smashed on the ground. Oh, I can't believe it. I was so unworthy. He didn't know my heart. I mean, I was amazingly able to cover it. He didn't know what was going on in my mind. He didn't know what was going on in my brain. But he blessed me in a great way with a brand new fishing pole. Now, I want to talk about a blessing that you can have today. And you're not worthy of it. And the one who provides it, he is fully aware of your heart. He is fully aware of your mind. He knows the thoughts you have. He knows the feelings that come in your mind. He knows, he knows these things about you. But he loves you. And this gift that he wants to give you This great blessing that he wants to include you in. Not only is it a wonderful benefit for you and a blessing for you, but it will change you. It will change you and glorify him. I want to show you this in scripture today. And I want us to understand what this blessing is. And so to get there, start with me in the gospel of Luke. I'd like you to learn, turn with me to Luke chapter 22 and hear the gift giver refer to this blessing he has for us. It's in Luke chapter 22, and when you get there, you may recognize the setting. We are now in the upper room on the night that Jesus would be betrayed. He will be arrested this very night. His disciples will deny him. He will walk through a kangaroo court, be found guilty of a capital offense, and will die a wicked death on a cross. But that night in Luke chapter 22, Jesus says something that if you don't know your New Testament, I'm sorry, your Old Testament like you should, it's almost cryptic. 
It's hard to know what he's referring to. And I want us to understand it today completely. It's in Luke chapter 22. It's in verses number 19 and 20 and following. But let me read it for you. Jesus says, I'll start in verse 16 to get the full context. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat it, meaning the Passover, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they'd eaten, saying, this cup, now hear this, that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, if you were here just four weeks ago, I started with this passage on another day. Because it's important for us to understand a a concept in your Old Testament that is practically foreign to us. It's the concept of a covenant that God makes with his people. A covenant. We've talked about some covenants in our walk from dust to glory. We've been walking through the Old Testament this summer and just landing at different places and understanding the plan of God. We've seen the fall of man. We've seen Abraham come and God raise him up and make promises to him. We've seen David rise and fall. We've seen Isaiah proclaim the truth of the, of the coming servant, Jesus. But today what I want to look at is I want to start out at in, in the idea of the covenants that God has made with his people. Now these are found throughout your Old Testament. And, and listen, this is... This can be thick theology, okay? So stay with me here. And I want you to understand this this idea that God has made promises to his people. And if you're in Christ today, those promises now have been made to you. You have been ushered in and grafted into these promises. Let, Let me explain these to you. Now, let's just talk about a covenant first of all. A covenant is an agreement made between two parties. And so a biblical covenant, like you have a covenant maybe in your your housing development, potentially. A covenant. If you're married, people will call that a covenant. It's an agreement between two parties. But a biblical covenant is an agreement between God and people. God and people. We've hit these on occasion because, honestly, this is a great way for you to read your Old Testament. This is truly a great way to bring meaning and structure and understanding as you read the Old Testament. So we had the Noahic covenant, clear back in Genesis chapter 9. And that was God's promise to people that he would not wipe them out by water again. That he would bring grace to his people. That even when they sin... God is not going to just destroy them like he did in the great flood in Noah's day. That was the Noahic covenant. And the promise is sure. Every time you see a rainbow, that's a promise of God's grace. I'm not going to wipe out the people. I have a plan. Well, then see, our Old Testament develops that plan. You go to Abraham. We have what's called the Abrahamic covenant. And that is a promise that God makes that he will bless the world. He will bless the world through a descendant of Abraham. That God will raise up a person that will come from Abraham's descendants, a human who will bless the world. 
Now, then we have something called the Mosaic Covenant. You'll notice I have it marked off a little different. The Mosaic Covenant was the one covenant that is bilateral. Let me tell you what that means. It's conditional. So God told the the people of Israel, if you obey me, if you obey me, I will bless you. But if you do not obey me, I will curse you. And as you read the Old Testament, you see that Mosaic covenant being lived out as the people of God disobeyed him. The promise was, obey me, and I will bless you. Disobey me, I will curse you. And that is exactly what happened. That's the mosaic of, it's a bilateral or a conditional agreement. If you do this, I will do this. If you do not do this, I will do this. That's a type of covenant, but it's different than Noahic. Did God say, if you're good, I won't destroy you? No. It's different than the Abrahamic covenant. Did God say, if you're good, then I'll send a descendant? No. The Mosaic is very different than all the others. And be careful when you read your Bible that you don't misunderstand that. People do that today. It's called the prosperity gospel. And people take statements that were part of the Mosaic covenant, and they say, if you just obey God, then he'll bless you, and your business will succeed. If you just obey God, he will bless you, and your kids will love Jesus. If you just obey God, then everything will work out well for you, and you'll get all green lights and parking places close to Walmart. Now, you laugh, but I'm telling you, you know there are pastors this morning that are preaching that. And fortunately for them, they drive really expensive cars and fly in and, you know, wonderful jets. and all. So they say, look at my life. I have a jet. Does not align with God's word. That's not the covenant that you and I are under, that we are living, that we are waiting to be fulfilled in our lives. Okay, moving forward, there's a land covenant. I won't go into that too much right now. It's just this. Basically, God says, you know what, Israel? I'm going to give you that land one day. I'm going to give you the land that I promised. You see in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and for literally for thousands of years, there's wars going on over that land today. Why is that? I wonder why that is. Then we have what we call the Davidic covenant. We talked about that at length. That was that God would raise up a descendant of David who would now reign from a throne. He would reign an earthly king. He would reign over all the world. And there would finally be justice. Davidic covenant. There will be justice. Right will be called right. Wrong will be called wrong. The simple fact that you long for these covenants to be true is a strong indicator of the reality of our God. You know that wrong is wrong and right is right and it irks you when it isn't played out. Yeah, that's the thumbprint of God. That's eternity on your heart. You're longing for the Davidic covenant. You don't know to call it that maybe, but that's what it is. You're longing for a, for a righteous king to rule. He will. His name is Jesus. He's called the Lion of Judah. And when they looked upon him in Revelation chapter 5, they said, he looks like a lamb that has been slain. Hmm, how ironic. But today we come to the new 
covenant. The new covenant. Every time we practice communion, we use those words. What does it mean? Well, the first place that it comes up is in the book of Jeremiah. So why don't you go there, okay? Go to the book of Jeremiah, and let's talk about that a little bit. And that's, if you were with us reading this week, you finished up Jeremiah yesterday. So Jeremiah is writing about 600 years before Jesus, about 100 years after Isaiah. And Jeremiah had a very difficult ministry. He is a priest and a prophet, He serves during the time when God is bringing his judgment on his people. Jeremiah will see King Josiah find the book of the law and lead in revival. And then he will see Josiah die, be replaced by a wicked king. And he will see the Babylonians come and destroy Jerusalem. And then he will run for his life to Egypt and sometime dies there. He ministered for over 40 years. And if we sat down with him at the end of a 40-year period, he would look like a complete failure. There's not one record. Now think about this. This man was a prophet of God for 40 years. And there is not one person on record who ever acknowledged that he was sent from God. Can you imagine that? For 40 years. And nobody, nobody during that time period is converted to trust in this Yahweh God. None. In Jeremiah 16, God says, you will not marry. So he didn't have a partner. He he didn't, didn't have success. And he continued on. Look at what his message was. Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 1. Look what God sent him to say. Jeremiah chapter 1. He's sometimes called the weeping prophet, right? You've heard that? That's not weeping in in weakness. That's weeping in mourning. In Matthew chapter 16, verse number 14, when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? One of the options that the disciples bring up is Jeremiah. Why? Because Jesus was so heartbroken over the condition of people. But look at his message. Jeremiah chapter 1, look at verse number 13. The word of the Lord came to me a second time and said, what do you see? He said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. The Lord said, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose on the inhabitants of the land. He says, I'm calling the tribes of the kingdoms of the north and they shall come and every one of them shall shed his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against its walls all around against all the cities of Judah. And he goes on to say that Judah and Jerusalem would be destroyed and all the people be taken into captivity. And that's his message. His message is, hey folks, God is going to judge us. There's nothing we can do to stop it. He's going to judge us. We're going into captivity. We're going to be slaves. And there's nothing we can do to stop it. Man, sign me up for that message, right? But I know some of you feel that way. Some of you may feel like, man, I keep on shouting out the truth and nobody listens. I keep telling people about my Lord and nobody, nobody responds. Listen, Jeremiah, to us, would seem like a great failure. But in God's eyes, in God's eyes, he was a wonderful victor. 
We never know what God is going to do. We never know. If you were to look at his resume, Jeremiah is the best missionary in your whole testament. He was faithful. He was determined. He kept going. No converts. The worst missionary in your whole Old Testament, Jonah. I ain't going, Lord. I can't stand those people. You might convert them. I'm not going. I'm swimming that way. So God says, oh yeah, you're coming this way. And there was a revival. Arguably, maybe the largest revival in all of your Old Testament could have been in Nineveh. Hundreds of thousands of people apparently came to Christ. Listen, you cannot, you can't judge You cannot judge your success by man's response. Don't. That's a wicked hole to climb down into. I've been in it. And it'll rot your soul. We be faithful to proclaim Jesus. We just point people to Jesus. And we trust him to move. But when he does, it will look like Jeremiah 31. Let's go over there. Jeremiah 31 is the first place where the new covenant is described. Jeremiah 31. And the thing I want us to recognize here as we, as we quickly walk through this is really what, Jer- what God is leading Jeremiah to promise us is simply this. And it, w- it will be described greatly in your New Testament. Before I reveal what I'm going to tell you, remember... The, the covenants is a great way to understand your Old Testament, okay? But a great way to understand your New Testament is simply seeing what the new covenant looks like in our lives. That's a great way to understand your New Testament. Because we're going to see here, in essence, what God is promising his people is this. The personal, powerful, permanent presence of his spirit, This is what God is promising his people. That you and I will have this spirit of God that is personally present. And he's permanent. You can't drive him away. Once he comes, he will work. He will change you. Let's see it in Jeremiah 31. Verse number 31 of chapter 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, they broke. So that old covenant, they broke it. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. Now what Jeremiah is saying, as they are going into captivity, chapter 30, chapter 31, they're being taken as slaves. And Jeremiah is saying, listen, as you suffer and as you die and as you struggle, know that God has a bright future for you. It's the new covenant. 
It's a new plan that he is going to place in your lives. Don't lose hope, in other words. It's hard right now, but it's coming. So let's see what we can understand about this. First of all, know that the new covenant is coming. It's coming. And I got news for you. It's not actually here yet. It's not actually here. Not yet. There are parts of the new covenant that are true in our lives today, already, but not yet fulfilled. See, this, when, when, I, when Jeremiah wrote this, it was future. And in some respects, it's still future for us today. I'll show you that as we go along. I want you to see that it is a, it's coming, but it's a better covenant. It's a grant covenant is what it means. In other words, God's going to do this. There's no condition. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And we see in Ezekiel chapter 36, you should write that down, Ezekiel 36. It's more information about this new covenant. God says, this is all about me. It's all about my glory. It's not about you. It's about God's grant covenant, meaning granted to us, unconditional, it's ours. It's a better covenant. See, he says, it's not like that old covenant that the house of Israel broke. I made that covenant with them. I took them by the hand. I called on my husband and they broke it. It's a better covenant, a better covenant than what they even had. And it's an everlasting covenant. See that at the end of the passage in verse number 34, he says, I will remember their sin no more. So this covenant that will be fulfilled at one day, and we are tasting pieces of it now, is eternal. Well, what else can we see about it? It's a new relationship. Look with me at verse number 33. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Now let me stop here for just a moment and deal with an issue. For those of you who don't know this term, that's okay, but let's talk about the dispensational view of understanding this covenant. In Romans chapter 11, it's explained that this covenant has been made with Israel. Did you notice? With Israel, with Judah, with Israel, with Judah, with Israel, with Judah. Well, that's not me. That's not me. I'm not an Israelite. I'm not Jewish. So what right do I have to claim this covenant as mine? In Romans chapter 11, there's a beautiful expression. And it's this. That God in his grace has chosen to take non-Jewish people like you and me, very likely, who've put their trust in Jesus. And the Bible says that he has grafted us in. To this blessing. Do you know this idea of grafting? Let me explain it to you. Take a tree, cut it off at the stump. Now this don't, I'm no plant person, whatever that's called, herb something, I don't know. That's not me, but I got the concept, okay? I know a little bit about it. Cut this tree, all right? Take another tree, jam it in the middle. I'm looking for, yeah, yes, yes, okay? Wrap it all up, and guess what happens? The new tree, you're stuck in the old tree, becomes part of the old tree. It's amazing. I've got this tree in my house that was grafted. 
It's got this little lump at the bottom where, where they stuck this new one there. And now it's, it's, it's got the advantage of the, of the wonderful root system. But the new growth, the new growth is blessed by the great root system. That's what Romans 11 explains about us. If you're in Jesus, you haven't replaced Israel. You haven't replaced the Israelites. No. God has said, I made them a promise. And I'm willing to include you. I'm willing to include you. So what's he going to include us in? This is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel. After those days, the Lord, I will put my law within them. An inner law. Romans 7, Paul says, I've got this law at work in me. I want to do what's right, and I do what's wrong. And I don't want to do what's wrong, but yet I do it anyway. i got this law. I'm a broken person. When the new covenant is here, that'll be gone. There's coming a day where that's not going to be in you anymore. You're going to want to do Even with your flesh, you're going to want to do what's right. I hope I'm not the only person who understands that battle. I know what to do, but my flesh, like a misaligned car, keeps going to the wrong. So Paul says, who will save me from the wretched man that I am? Praise be to the God and Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am no longer slave to the law. I am now a slave to the Spirit. This is what God is promising will happen. Not just the inner law. But he says, I will write it on their hearts. Ezekiel explains this a little bit further, that there'll be a new spirit. This is the first reference to the new covenant, but Ezekiel takes it further and explains, we'll have a new spirit within us. I have that right now, do you? See, there are parts of this that are true right now. If you're in Christ, the spirit of God indwells you. Instantly, when you came to Jesus, and I know his draw, I know his leading, I know his effect in my life, but yet I am stuck with this flesh because this inner law hasn't been written yet. See this dynamic? Some of it already, some of it not yet. We'll keep going. Also, there's an identity change. I'll put my law within them, I'll write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. All people who put their trust in Jesus, white, black, red, yellow, Jesus loves them all. Remember that song we sang in elementary school? It's true. It's true. There's only two races of people. There's only two races, folks. Believers and unbelievers. That's it. That's it. Person that comes to Christ, we are all his child. All. Mm. whole brand new identity. And then the last part, verse 34. Now, verse 34 makes it very clear. In heaven, I am unemployed. I got no job in heaven, so I'm going to live at your house, okay? And then I'll live at yours, and then I'll live at yours. There's no reason for me in heaven, okay? And that's okay. That's all right, because I'd like to work at a fast food restaurant. I'd love to cook burgers. That would be great if that's what I do in heaven. Let me show you why I say I'm unemployed in heaven. Verse number 34. And no one, let me back up. Let me me correct what I said. In the kingdom. 
in the kingdom of God, everything changes. A new knowledge. Here it is. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. And I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. See, in this, in, this, in this new covenant, there's coming a time when there's a new knowledge. 1 Corinthians 13, we know in part, but when the perfect comes, we will know completely. We'll know all that there is to know, all that we can know, and God infinitely will be expressing more things for us to know. No one's teaching you in the kingdom of heaven. When the new covenant is here, we're not going to gather around and say, okay, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. That's not going to happen. We're all going to know this knowledge because he would be before us. All people, all knowing, all forgiven. For I'll forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. Now, the logical question is, when? When? I want this now, God. I want this now. Yep. You're supposed to say that. And that's why there's this little word in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 that I want to remind you of. It's an Aramaic word. I think it might be the only Aramaic word I know. And it's Maranatha. You know what it means? Oh, come, Lord. Oh, come, Lord. Let me tell you your future. There's going to be a day when the Lord Jesus Christ says it is time. And he will rapture his church and we'll be with him forever. And there will be a time of turmoil and difficulty on this earth for seven years. And in that seven years, the Lord Jesus is going to return in bodily form. The Lord Jesus will stand upon the earth. And he will set in place a 1,000-year kingdom that will then go on into eternity where the new covenant will be lived. And there'll be no more longing. There'll be no more longing from freedom from sin. It will be experienced. There'll be no more longing for knowledge of God. It will be experienced. There'll be no more longing for relationships mended with God and man, for it will be experienced. It is the new covenant promised to God's people through Jeremiah 600 years before Jesus came to the earth, purchased and won in a victorious reign over death by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and one day brought to place by his return. This is the new promise that God has made. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your grace. I thank you that you do love us, Lord, and that your grace has brought us relationship with you. Lord, that we could never earn it. We were never able. We never will be able. But because of what Jesus has done, Lord, you have brought us to the place now where we will experience and are experiencing that special relationship with you. 
Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you that it's sufficient. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.